remind us of uh, some of the words of this song that we sang just a minute ago, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Uh, Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Great is thy faithfulness. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Don't we need it? Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. First Peter talks about suffering. And in our passage this morning, it talks about these trials that we have. And, and within these trials framed, that you just framed in a circle, those trials are enveloped, framed out around those trials is the promise and the, the grace of God for strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. I want us to uh, read the first nine verses of 1 Peter chapter 1, okay? And we're just going to concentrate on four verses this morning. Um, we looked at the first two last week. Today we're going to focus primarily on verses 3 through 6. But I'd like to get the context. I'd like us to read all nine verses. Okay, so hopefully this will be on the screen. But Peter writes this. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The word of the Lord. I want us to do a little bit of review here before we look at verses 3 through 5, and that is a little review of what we talked about primarily last week, and that is Peter's audience here. And we said there are two just wonderful words, key words, really unfriendly words, uh, don't initially strike us wonderful, but they're wonderful. And Peter describes the audience, and therefore us, as elect exiles, You see that right there in in verse 1. We are elect exiles. Now, what does that mean? This was basically the message last week, but just by way of, of review. Elect means we belong to God. Elect means he is he has chosen us, he has looked down upon us before history, and he has called us to be sons and daughters. If you know Jesus this morning. If you found him, it's because he, first of all, has come and found you. You are chosen by God. You are elect before him. And that ought to make you feel pretty special, pretty graced that God 
would elect you, that God would call you into his family. And you need to know that. We need to know that because if we're going to face trials, we need to know that they're not the judgment of God because we're his children. We belong to him. And yet, right next to that, contrasted with that, in contradistinction from that, you might say, is this word exile. We're elect, we're dearly loved, we're chosen of God, but we're also exiles, which means what? Which means basically we're homeless. We don't belong here. We're without our true home. We're sojourners or aliens, as he goes on to call us in chapter 2. We're aliens and strangers, exiles. And last week, what I had you do at the beginning of the message was I had you write down, if you weren't here, you can do this now. I had you write down your address. Did a little survey. Who's, who lives in Frisco? Who's in Allen? Who's in McKinney? And then I had you circle that address and write down next to that address, this is not my home. As that's a theme through Peter, and it's going to have to be... a uh, deeply in our hearts if we're going to make it through this world in trials and tribulation. We are elect, loved by God, and yet exiles. So now, this morning, moving on, after he gives this introduction, he goes on and he tells us this, these wonderful blessings that we have. And it's the blessings that I suggest this morning frame the trials. Okay, so I want to begin actually not in verse 3, but I want to begin in verse 6 where he describes these trials and basically says they're inevitable. Look at verse 6 uh, with me here. He says, in this you rejoice, and what he's talking about there is rejoicing in the blessings that we read about in verses 3 through 5. But in verse 6 he says, in this you rejoice, in this you rejoice in the above, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Now there's a lot of qualifiers there in verse 6 about these trials, okay? Four things specifically uh, that we learn about trials here. First of all, trials are temporary, Notice he says, in this you rejoice, though now, for a little while. So first of all, we see that trials are temporary. And they may go on for quite a while. I can't imagine watching my baby girl for eight months in the NICU. That's a long time. But Peter says, these trials ultimately are temporary. In other words, they have an expiration date. All of our trials are going to end, and he's going to talk in this passage about the last time or the last day. When all trials will end, they're temporary. They have an expiration date. Secondly, he says they're necessary. Somehow, in God's sovereign providence... The sovereign will, it says, we rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by this, these various trials. Now, he's going to talk, and we'll talk about this next week in verses 7 and on, what these trials produce, the, what they bring, the fruit that they bring. But sometimes they are necessary, temporary, necessary. But thirdly, he says, you have been grieved. So thirdly, they're grievous. And I love that the Bible doesn't wince and it doesn't mince words about the difficulty of life and that they're 
our trials and that we're grieved by trials. The Bible doesn't gloss over life and say that everything's easy, that everything goes well once you give your life to Jesus. In fact, in some ways, it gets harder. As a part of my Bible reading, I I have a habit of reading through the Psalms, and it amazes me how often in the Psalms, the psalmist is crying out in pain, doubting God, saying, Lord, my enemies, my trials, the, the Bible doesn't just skirt over the difficulties of life. It faces them head on. In fact, a couple weeks ago, uh, Dave, as he was up here preaching, he preached a message from this book in the Old Testament called Lamentations. Like we have a whole book on lament, upon difficulty, as well as the Psalms. So these trials are temporary, necessary, grievous, and fourthly, they're various. Man, I don't want to compare my trials to any of the trials I just mentioned earlier. Because our trials, though we all have them, are various, and that's not to minimize your trials here this morning, but trials are not all equal. They are not equal in kind. They are not equal in degree. But keep in mind, they're temporary. I wrote down here in my notes, let me read it to you. It says, there's no way to get through life without suffering, without trial, There's no way to get through life without suffering, and there's no way to get through suffering without hope. Without hope. And that's that's how Peter frames these trials in the beginning verses here of 1 Peter chapter 1. He gives us a hope that is greater than our trials. A hope that is longer than our trials. A hope that is out of this world. A hope that defeats even our enemy, death. A hope greater than this world. So let's go back up to verse 3 and see the context here. Verse 3, he begins with this doxology. We sang this classic doxology just a second ago, but he begins here with this doxology that begins, Blessed be God, the Father. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We when we receive blessings from God, we're, we're receiving his gifts. We're receiving his favor. When the Bible talks about blessing God, blessed be God the Father, we are offering thanksgiving or praise up to God. So he's basically saying praise be to God. Blessings be to God, our Father, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to talk about how this election has happened, how we have come to be in his family. And he says, it's according to God's mercy. The next sentence, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. How did you come into God's family? How were you elected into God's family? It is because of his great mercy. Mercy. Now, Dave mentioned this a couple weeks ago as well, but what's the difference between mercy and grace? Mercy is not getting what you deserve, and grace is getting what you don't deserve. Let me say that again. Mercy is not getting what you deserve, and grace is getting what you don't deserve. And Peter is saying, from from his own personal testimony, look, of all people, I deny Jesus. And I don't deserve what he's given me, and he has given me mercy. And all who know Jesus get there 
because of God's mercy. And this verse reminds me of Titus chapter 3 as well, verses uh, 4 through 5. Titus 3, 4 through 5, it says this. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness. Let's say that, let me say that part again. He saved us not because of works done in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. The very same phrase used here in 1 Peter is used in Titus chapter 3. He saved us according to his own mercy by the washing of of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. He saves us by mercy. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. And the spiritual life following Jesus is not turning over a new leaf. It's a new life. We are born again. He by his mercy, makes us new people. We are given new identity, new salvation, born again to a new life. This term born again is used just a few times in the scriptures, actually. Uh, but we're, when we're born again, if you, you think about that word today, in today's context, if people talk about being a born-again Christian, Oftentimes, that phrase, born-again Christian, is equated with some type of part of the country, some particular political philosophy, perhaps. If you're a born-again Christian, that means you're, you have X political persuasions. But when Peter uses the word born-again here, what does he link it to? He links it to hope. Born-again people should be the most hopeful people in the world because they've received the mercy of Jesus. They've been born again to a new life. You've been born again to a living hope. And here, Peter is is describing this idea of a relationship with Christ. He's going to describe it in three ways. First of all, he describes it here as a living hope. In the next verse, he's going to describe it as an inheritance. And then in verse 5, he's going to describe it as salvation. We're born again, first of all, to a living hope. Not a dead hope. Not a temporary hope. Not a fleeting hope. Not a transitory hope. But a living, indeed, eternal hope. You and me ought to be the most hopeful people in the world because of what God has done and because of what God has promised to do. We are born again to a living hope. Not only is this born again experience give us this living hope, but it's further described in verse 4 as an inheritance. Look as he goes on in verse 4. He says, You're born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. How do we get this living hope? Because of what Jesus did for us. Because he died on the cross and then he resurrected from the dead. And a couple, not a couple weeks ago, a week ago, we baptized people. Last Sunday night, we had a baptism and we had three folks get baptized. And as we baptized them, one of the things I talked about is that when you put your faith in Jesus, when you're born again, you are united with Jesus. So when Jesus died on the cross for you, you were with him. 
You died with him, and when he resurrected from the dead, you were united with him. You were resurrected to new life. And guess what? One day, at the end, you also physically will be resurrected to new life with Jesus in the kingdom that is to come. You will be resurrected to new life. You were born again through Christ's resurrection, of which you are now united. And then verse 4, he goes on and says, not only is this a living hope, but he says, to an, internal, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. To an inheritance. Salvation not only gives us hope, but he says it gives us this inheritance. Who here doesn't want an inheritance? And we get this inheritance from God. Now this week, if you pay attention to the news, if you're into Dallas business or perhaps you're an OSU alumni like me, you heard about the passing of this Dallas oil tycoon named Boone Pickens. Died at 91 years old. He's a billionaire. Apparently died with about 500 million. But this guy's given away millions and millions. And he, to my alma mater, he gave, he gave away several hundred million dollars within the last decade. And as I heard about his passing, guess what my first thought was, as Katrina told me in the office this week, this week who she's also an alumnus of alumnae. How do you say that for the... Anyway, of, and she said, Boone Pickens passed away. And my first thought was, I wonder how much money he left us. not me, to the university. How much did he leave us? And uh, this joke went around later in the week uh, amongst alumni, this joke and this rumor went around later in the week that in his will, Boone Pickens had left Mike Gundy $30 in his will to get a haircut at Sports Clips to cut that mullet. (laughs) Turns out it's just a rumor and a joke. But If your family or your friends of T. Boone Pickens, you're not expecting to get 30 bucks of inheritance from Papa Boone. You're expecting a little bit more than that. But folks, we get an inheritance, not from a billionaire, not from any multimillionaire. We have an inheritance coming from the creator of the universe. God himself says he has an inheritance waiting for us. And it's no inheritance of money, and you might be fascinated with a mansion or whatever that you might come pie in the sky. You can take my Gundy off there now, thanks. Uh, Some mansion in the heavens, but we have an eternal inheritance coming that will outlast millions and billions of dollars. Look at the way Peter describes it here. He says it is an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. In other words, its expiration date has no end. It has no expiration date. God has this inheritance. No matter what trial we're facing right now, no matter what trial we will face come Monday morning, we have the security of this inheritance in Jesus that is imperishable, 
undefiled and unfading. This reminds me, don't you need that assurance that Jesus is is not going to let you go? He's not going to kick you to the curb. You're not going to die and be left with 30 bucks. You're not going to get in by the skin of your teeth. But you have this inheritance waiting you that will never end. It reminds me of Jesus' words himself in John chapter 10, where he says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. They know my voice and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them and no one shall snatch them from my hands. You remember that promise of Jesus? No one will snatch you from his hands. No one's gonna take you away. No one's gonna redo the will or the inheritance. And then Jesus says, and my father who is greater than me has given them to me. And no one can snatch them from my father's hands. We have, no matter what we face, This internal inheritance that will never fade. I love the words of this old hymn, He Will Hold Me Fast. I listened to it this morning. Do you know this old one? It says, when I fear, he will hold me fast. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path For my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. And he will. Even through the storms to come, verse 6, he will hold us fast. His inheritance will be there for us. He goes on, verse 5, to describe it as a salvation. imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, verse five, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. God's mercy has caused us to be born again to this living hope. In verse five, we see God's power is keeping us in this salvation. Not my power, God's power. Not my grip on Jesus, but Jesus' grip on me. God's power is keeping me, guarding me. This is a military term here. It's like a garrison. God is guarding you for salvation that will be revealed in the last time. Hey, wait a second. I thought I was already saved. Peter is saying, you you have been saved, but your salvation will be complete without pain, without trial. At some point, not now, but at the last time. But for now, it is protected by God's power for you when salvation will be revealed in the end. Therefore, praise God from whom all blessings flow and praise God even in the trial as you have a living hope, an inheritance, and a salvation kept by God that will be revealed in the last time. So here's what I want you to do on your piece of paper. I want you to take that back out. You've got this circle that has trials in it. And here's what I want you to do if you have room. I want you to draw even even bigger, a circle twice as big around that circle of trials, okay? So you've got a small circle in the middle and a larger circle around that. And in that larger circle, encompassing, enveloping those trials, I want you to write this a living hope, joy, an inheritance, salvation. 
Because here's the hope of the scriptures. Here's the teaching of Jesus. Here's Peter's point here is that the trials are temporary, but they are encircled. They are enveloped by a God who has defeated death through the resurrection of Jesus and is coming again to put this world right and therefore trials will cease. They have an expiration date. Enveloped by the hope of a God who conquers even the worst, even death. So my question to you this morning, do you know this hope? Do you have this hope? Do you know this Jesus? Knowing Jesus, being born again, doesn't make trials go away, but it does put an expiration date on them. And it does encircle you with strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Do you have this hope? Do you, need, do you know Jesus? Do you need Jesus this morning? If the Holy Spirit is moving in your heart right now and you say, I don't have that hope in this trial, I invite you in these next moments to just say, Jesus, save me. Thank you for going to the cross for my sins. Thank you for dying to give me resurrection and living hope even through danger, toil, snares, and death. Do you have this hope? If you don't know Jesus, I beg you this morning, cry out to him. Take him as your savior. We're gonna have some people as we sing this next song up front and in the back that would love to pray with you. Maybe you're going through a trial this morning as all of us are. And you just need some prayer this morning. I invite you, don't be bashful. Come forward as we sing this next song. Ask for prayer. Let us carry the load with you. Let us share your burdens, whether they're small, whether you're embarrassed to even mention them compared to some of the other things we've mentioned this morning. Let us pray with you. Let us pray for you, okay? We're not gonna go through a season where we don't have some bumps, where we don't have some trials. But blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Will you bow with me? Father God, we come to you this morning and we beg you in the name of Jesus to work your healing amongst our family and our friends this morning. And if you don't bring healing, God, would you please bring a hope that is palpable, concrete, that comes alongside the trial, the grief the immense pain and envelops it with the hope of the risen Jesus. God, save us from our sins and Jesus return and save us from this broken world. It's in your beautiful, glorious name we pray, Jesus. Amen.